want to welcome you to Relevant Faith Church. My name is Mike Womer. I'm the lead pastor here at Relevant Faith, and we are excited that you have joined us. So this morning, we are continuing in a series that we started last week called Countercultural. Last week, we talked about countercultural living and what that looks like, and, and we uh, unpacked the passage of Scripture in Micah chapter 6, verse 6 through 8, and found the importance of living the way God is calling us to live according to the text for the series, which I'll share with you in a moment. And in, in a way, we, we, thought, we talked about three things that we could grow and learn in as it related to living this countercultural life. And that is very simply to do what is right. You know, that's, that's what's just in the eyes of God. And, and to love mercy in our relationships with one another, to show mercy to one another. And then finally, to walk humbly. And we talked about how humility is not a beating down of yourself or thinking less of yourself. It is, it is a place that says, I want my life to bring God glory, at, even if it's at the expense of myself and my own glory. That's what true humility is, is that our life brings God glory. And so knowing all of this is with God, because Micah chapter 6, verse 6 through 8 ends with, walk humbly with our God. It's not that we walk ahead of him or we walk so far behind him that we can't hear him, but it's, it's really un, it's very important in your walk with Christ to understand, and this is going to sound maybe a little odd to some folks, but it's really important in your walk with Christ to understand the geographic location of Jesus as it relates to your life. You know, we often look at Jesus as this far off image of, of God who is in heaven the Bible says that he sits at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you and I. And we have this thought and this idea that he's so far off. But the reality is he walks with us. The old hymn sings he walks with us. He talks with us, right? This is the God that we serve, that he walks with us. He doesn't walk so far out in front of us that we can't see him. And he's not so far behind us that we think that we're alone. But yet he is with us. And Micah even reflect that. He says, walk humbly with our God. And so today we're going to continue in this idea of a countercultural life, and we're going to talk about countercultural relationships. Yes, we are coming up on one of the most popular holidays of the year in the United States of America when people one time out of the year decide to spend hundreds of millions of dollars on candy and flowers because they want to make their loved one feel special. Sorry, I'm just moving this up a little bit. It feels like I'm so far away. But they want to make their loved one feel special. And while there's nothing wrong with that, there's nothing wrong with the idea of Valentine's Day and showing love and all those things. Unfortunately, we live in a culture that relegates that to a holiday and a once a year type thing. But today we're going to talk about not just the intimate relationships, but personal relationships that we have and uh, hopefully we're going to have ourselves a good time. And so the text for this whole series of countercultural life is found in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. It's up on the screen for you. The Bible says, You are coming to Christ, who is, a living, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And he goes on to say, And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Through the meditation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. 
As the scriptures say, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Yes, you who trust him recognize the honor God has given him, but for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And he is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word, so they meet the fate that was planned for them. Here's verse number 9 and 10 is where we get to the, 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 the vision and the idea for this countercultural life. He says, but you are not like that, for you are a chosen people, a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. So that's the passage of scripture that has resonated in my heart and my spirit as we preach through this series called Countercultural. And that idea in verse number nine and verse number 10 is simply that you are chosen by God to be a reflection of his grace and his mercy and his power in every relationship that is in your life. That, that right there is enough for, I don't know about you, but for me, I, I look at it and say, there was a time that I had no identity as a person. My, my life, be my walk with, with, in life without Christ, all the way up until my early 20s, I had no real identity. I, I ran around and did the things that I wanted to do, and I struggled from time to time and made a lot of mistakes. For those of you who've been around a while and heard some of my testimony can attest to some of the mistakes that I have made as just as a human being. And I had no identity, but once I found myself in the presence of God, having given my life to Christ, I realized that I have an identity in Christ. And everything that I ever did to try to find it outside of him never led anywhere but to destruction. And everything I've ever done within that identity that Christ has called has never led anywhere except for amazing experience after amazing experience. And so the idea of this countercultural life is to understand and to know who you are and more importantly, whose you are. You are God's very own possession, chosen, royal, holy, righteous. This is who he says that you are. When you fight that same thought with your own thoughts of suggesting that you're not valued, you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you're not talented enough, now you are at war with God. That's not a good place to be, is being battling God. His very word tells you who you are. And so that's the idea of living this countercultural life. And so as it relates to relationships today, the Bible ranks healthy relationships as one of the, as perhaps the most important thing in life. A Jewish religious expert asked Jesus in Matthew chapter 22, verse 36, he said, teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? To which Jesus replies in the next few verses, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. See, when Jesus makes a statement like this, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, it's almost like, oh yeah, I can do that. I love God. I love Jesus. I love that he died for me. I love, I love everything about Christ because he is my savior. He is my Lord. And it's, it's actually kind of easy to profess that. But he actually went on and said, 
This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Notice he said it's equally as important. And he said, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, just so you can understand this passage of scripture and some clarity, your neighbor is not necessarily the person who lives next door or the person who lives behind you or the person who lives onto your left or across the street from you. Your neighbor is actually any human being in which you come in contact with. And to actually define that today, that includes out in the supermarket, that includes on your job, that includes on your social media, people that you come in contact with are your neighbor. So basically your neighbor is mankind. If they are living and they are breathing, they are your neighbor. That's what Jesus is saying. To love your neighbor as yourself. Now, of course, some people struggle to love themselves, but in the basic form, everyone loves themselves. In the, ba- in the most basic form, we all love ourselves. We all take showers to get clean. We all put food in our body. We all put something on us that we look in the mirror and say, huh, okay, I can live with that. I like, with, I like what I see. Put a shirt on, put a pants on, put some shoes on. Maybe you guys don't love it as much as I do. But we all do that to ourselves. So there's at least a sense of love for ourselves. And so the idea that Christ is sharing is the entire law, verse 40, and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two things. Love God, love each other. So it really takes and puts relationships in a place of like paramount importance. Some of the most important things in life are going to be the relationships that you walk in. And because the Bible emphasizes healthy relationships so highly, I find it so sad that the body of Christ has such broken and hurting relationships. Of all the people in the world that have something to share, it's the body of Christ. They have Jesus. They have the answer to every problem the world could ever bring, and his name was Jesus. And because they have the answer, there should be something that's able to well up within you to say, I gotta love them, I'm gonna love this person, I'm gonna love that person, because our perspective should be heavenly when it relates to how we view people. Now, the difficulty in that is simply we are conditioned to want to be around people who are like us, who look like us, who act like us, who think like us, who dress like us, who work like us. We want to be around people who like us. Matter of fact, if you look at your closest friends, there's a pretty good chance that they are somewhat like you in some way, shape, or form. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing by any means, but if you cannot look at your personal life and find people who don't look like you, act like you, talk like you, dress like you, or anything like you in any way, shape, or form, my question and my challenge for you is, are you really loving your neighbor? This played out several years ago right here in this church. We would talk, have conversations about being a multi-ethnic church and what that looked like, and we would have some difficult conversations In the very beginning of this church, we had some challenging conversations, some conversations based solely on race. And in those conversations, it was really, we'd go back and forth, but there was one kind of game, set, match, end all to these conversations, and it was real simple. As we talked about engaging in relationship with people not like us, it was really, really easy to figure out. Let's go to your contacts in your phone. 
Look at the 10 most popular people that you speak to in any way, shape, or form, through texting, through Facebook, through phone calls, whatever your mode of contact is, the 10 most popular people in your phone, how many of them just simply look differently than you do? That's how you really, that's one of the greatest gauges on whether you're really truly living out this love your neighbor as yourself call of God. And now this isn't meant to be an indictment. It's not meant to, 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 to bring condemnation by any means, but maybe a challenge to how are you living the life that God has called you to live. Some people would make the assessment, and I would disagree with them adamantly, that, oh, well, if you're just living for God, then, then being diverse and being multi-ethnic and being all these things, it just happens naturally. That's actually the furthest thing from the truth. If you want to truly engage all of God's people from every nation, every tribe, and every tongue, it's actually done with intentionality. It's not done accidentally. It's not done through osmosis. It's not done because, you know, I think I'm, I am this sanctified, Holy Ghost-filled believer in Christ, and, man, I'm walking this out. I'm, I'm just like everyone else. I'm human, and I, I, I'm, I'm much more likely to gravitate towards what makes me comfortable than what makes me uncomfortable. And when you don't understand people, and it doesn't necessarily mean race, it can be differences in sex, it can be differences in race, it can be differences in culture, it can be differences in language, it can be all kinds of differences, socioeconomic classes, it can be all kinds of differences. But when I look at that and say, man, what does my life look like? Am I intentional about being in relationship with people who don't look like me? Because to be honest with you, that's where personally I have found some of the greatest joy is in the relationships that are nothing like me. They have brought me the greatest joy in my life, whether they think differently, look differently, act differently, believe differently, doesn't make a difference. They are some of the greatest joys that I've had in my life. And so the Bible emphasizes these healthy relationships so much that Colossians chapter two, or chapter three, sorry, speaks very well of this. And it says, since God chose you to be holy, to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance. Here we go. This is where the problem becomes. This is where we start to run into our issues relationally. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Notice what it said. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. What's culture say today? Culture says, if you offend me, I shun you. If you fault me, I cut you off. I will spend no time thinking about you, praying for you, talking to you, engaging with you in any way, shape, or form because you have offended me and you have now have fault. I have fault with you. That's cultural. That's why I say this is a countercultural life. Then it goes on to say, remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. We have to come to this understanding that we are all members of one body. Many different cultures, many different races, many different socioeconomic backgrounds, but one body. Let me help you out with one other thing that I hear, and then we'll move on from this thought. I hear culturally, I hear it spoken, I see it written on Facebook, I see all these things. People make the distinction, well, I don't see color and race. 
Let me just give you a little bit of advice. Get some glasses. Because the Bible is very clear that God sees race. God sees culture. God sees ethos, which is your ethnic background. God sees that. He rejoices in it and he commends it. And then his goal, end goal, is that it is all together as one body worshiping one God. That's his will. And if you want to know where that's found, Revelation will tell you all about that. He says, John's revelation was, behold, I see. No, he didn't say, behold, I think, or behold, I've heard, or behold, I... He says, behold, I see every nation, every tribe, every tongue worshiping God together. So if John was given revelation from God of what he saw, that means God sees every nation, every tribe, every tongue. And every nation, every tribe, and every tongue, they all look what? Differently. So this is the body of Christ. This is why I look at the church and say it's not, it's not this cute thing that I'm called to do. I believe the church as a whole should be a reflection of the community that it is in. And if you are in the city of Peoria, the church should look like the city of Peoria. Personal opinion, based on what I study and what I read. No condemnation for those who think otherwise or do otherwise. This is just how I see it and how I view it. But one of the goals of this church, and it should be the goal of all believers, is to create an atmosphere where personal, deepening, encouraging, and iron sharpening iron relationships are loved and valued. Loved and valued. Why this is important? Because we love personal relationships, and we love deep relationships, and we love encouraging relationships. But can I just be real and say we don't love the iron sharpening iron relationship? That's a little uncomfortable. You challenge my status quo or the way I think or the way I believe, then I'm not comfortable with that. I'm going to have to check out of this relationship because eh, that's not really a thing for me. But that's what we hope to accomplish. The key word is relationship. You can show someone you love them without having much of a relationship with them in any way, shape, or form. It's actually not that difficult. We see it in Luke chapter 10, 25 through 37, when the good Samaritan showed love to a wounded Jewish man that he didn't even know. And he, would, he left him in the care of another who he didn't even know and still paid for all of that care. So it's, you can love someone you do not know at all. That's easy. But today's message is really about being in relationship and a certain kind of relationship that God is calling us to be in as a church. And when I say as the church, I mean the church with a big capital C, the body of Christ around the world. It's not a general call to love, although that's important. It's important to love generally. So where you would be the good Samaritan. But this is very specific and this is also very intentional. It's a love through relationship. So there's four words that I'm going to use to describe relationships. These are also in your notes. And like I said before, these relationships that I, I personally, and I think God personally longs to see valued to be personal relationships, deepening relationships, encouraging relationships, and iron sharpening iron relationships. So let's start with number one, the personal relationship. The personal relationships, very simply, it's personal means not just functional. A functional relationship is some, we, we have many functional relationships with our doctors, with our lawyers, with our plumbers, with our employers, with our teammates, our teachers, 
Those are all functional relationships. And those are relationships that stay functional oftentimes without ever becoming personal. But some of the most valued relationships I've had in my life are relationships that started out as functional that became very personal. People who I was engaged with, even if it was sometimes, and became close friends with. Those are some of the relationships I valued more than ever in my life. The personal would mean that, that it's people you relate to one another through personal things, not professional things. Like I said, there's nothing wrong with connecting with people based on professional things, but I'm talking about personal things that you're relating to one another. How many know that life crosses all barriers of ethnicity, that life crosses all barriers of culture, of socioeconomic background? Life itself crosses all of those. I guarantee I can go out into the world and find a lot of people that don't look like me that struggle the same as I do. So it's, it's based on connection, based on personal relationships. Jesus had circles of relationships. No, see, here's the thing. You cannot become personally invested with everyone. That would be impossible. But there are some that I believe God's called us to be personally invested in. And not just those that make us feel comfortable, but those that make us feel uncomfortable. But Jesus had these intimate personal relationships. There were 70 that he appointed in Luke chapter 10. 70 people that he appointed to be the carriers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then there were 12 that he chose in Mark chapter 3 to walk with him throughout his entire ministry. Then there were Peter and James and John. And those three, he took them with him onto the Mount of Transfiguration. They held a closer place with him than the 70 or the the whole 12. And then there was John who was four different times called the disciple whom Jesus loved. Not a reflection of his love for anyone else. It wasn't that Jesus didn't love everyone else, but it's just like life. It's just like us. He had 70, he had 12, he had three, and he had one. There are different circles and depths to our relationships with other people. And the point is that Jesus had himself this this circle of relationships that had varying depth to them. He was open and outgoing to all, but he was close, very close to a few. And I think that's a model of what relationship should look like for us. Jesus was the one who would dine with sinners. He would go and hang out with the tax collector who was considered a crook. He would minister to the woman caught in adultery, which was taboo. You didn't do that. You were a Jewish man. You didn't talk to that woman. She was unclean. She shouldn't even actually been in public. And then for her to off, for you to ask her for water, that's like, whoa, what are you doing? It's like, no, that's a foul. Uh-uh. But that's the Jesus that, that's the God that we serve. He would do the, he would engage in these relationships. While his relationship with this person was not deep, his relationship was very personal. And so the goal is not everyone can relate to everyone in a personal relationship because That would be impossible, but to create the atmosphere in this church, but also in our lives, that these kinds of relationships can form and then be valued. That's the whole point of living a countercultural relationship. Today, this is what we have relegated relationship to. Well, let me text you. You know, let me tweet you. Let me snap, let me, let me Snapchat you. That's what relationship has become so unpersonal, so unvalued, because if you actually valued a relationship, this is what you would do. 
face to face. Sit down, let me love you. Because like, there's some things you just cannot communicate in a text or a tweet or an email or even simply a phone call. There's nothing greater value than that face to face. And I'm, my fear for the coming generation is they can't do it. You know, I have a, a lot of you know that I've, I've been on a journey of being a bivocational pastor. I had full time work as a marketing director at Chick fil A, and I've since scaled it down to very part time. And I would do interviews with teenagers because, you know, Chick-fil-A hires a lot of teenagers that work their evenings. And I would do interview after interview with teenagers that could not even look me in the eyes. They were like this. And they were phenomenal on this thing. But they couldn't face-to-face have a conversation without cowering or being terrified. And that's a challenge in our personal relationship. We have taken personal relationships to this instead of this, the face-to-face. Or I feel like God wants to, to, to create an atmosphere that make, causes these relationships to form easily and become valuable, just like Jesus did. Jesus didn't text nobody. Now, granted, there wasn't texting available. I am thankful that I grew up, I'm old enough to have grown up without the internet. Yes, I went to high school, and I graduated high school without the internet. Some folks are like, how on? Some young people today, how did you do that? I can't even comprehend that you went to school without internet. How old are you? I'm like, really? I'm not that old. But that's, I'm thankful that I've grown up in that generation because today's generation is struggling to make these intimate connections. And I I believe that it's it's the church that can teach and show this. So there are personal relationships. Number two, they're deepening relationships. Deepening relationships. The second word to describe this relationship using the word deepening, it simply means that we're not staying at a level of superficiality. Knowing a few personal things about people and asking casually how things are going, but never really going deeper with people. And that's, that's where we come in and the walls that we put up based on the pain that we have felt in our lives. I don't know about, let me, let me, just, let me just see by a, a, sh- a raising of your hands. Have you ever felt stabbed in the back by a very close friend? Lift your hand up. Come on, don't be shy. Don't be ashamed. Have you ever felt stabbed in the back by a close friend? I'm with you. I've been stabbed in the back. That knife has been stuck and twisted and turned and then let me kick you off my knife and come, let me come back at you one more time. I've been there. I've done that. I've walked that same journey But let me tell you something, I still long for these deep relationships. Because I can tell you this, for a season, I put some walls up. I said, "Uh uh-uh, no one's getting close enough to do that to me again. I didn't like the way that felt, that hurt, that caused pain in my heart. I didn't like the way that felt, I'm not doing that again. But God has brought me full circle from that to where these deepening relationships are so important. It's actually just living out what Galatians chapter 6 verse 2 says. In Galatians 6 2, Paul says, share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. So it is, God, it is Christ's command for us to share with each other's burdens. You can't share with someone's burden if you're not in a deep relationship with them. That's why he desires that depth in that relationship. You can't go deeper with everyone because again, that would be impossible. The biblical command to share each other burden 
It implies something deeper than just the passing high, how you doing? My challenge for you is to engage in these deep relationships. You'll be surprised to see what comes from them. You'll be surprised to see if you're open and willing who God connects to you in a deep relationship and what it brings to your life. Number three, the, th- the third relationship and third word to describe relationships is simply encouraging relationships. Encouraging. This is where love especially comes in. We're talking about relationships of love and love means that you have a heart to lighten people's load as you get to know them. You have this heart and this desire to lighten their load and share their burden. It means that your desire is to be a load lifter and a burden bearer. Being a helper, being a strengthener, being someone who engages with others in order to build that level of encouragement. Blessed, you ever heard of the phrase blessed to be a blessing? That's what we're talking about. We're talking about that kind of encouraging walk, that encouraging relationship that lifts one another up. I'll tell you this right now. If you've got folks in your life that tear you down, then they need to go. Like literally, they need to go. There are relationships that every single one of us have that are not healthy for us. They are not at all healthy for us. They need to go. Those relationships are toxic. They are keeping us down from where God wants us to be. Now, now let me just help you out real quick. Your spouse is not that relationship. I know some of y'all are thinking, oh, let me tell you, my husband, whoo, my wife, oh, let me tell you. No, your spouse is not that relationship. That's a covenant you made with God to say, I'm married to you, and we are going to fight through this thing. I'm coming up on 19 years of marriage with my beautiful bride. And let me tell you, we have fought for 19 years. But we fight for our marriage harder than we fight our differences. But that's, that's called relationship. But there, let's, let's move a part of that. Now, if you're single and dating someone, that, that might be a different story. That might be a toxic relationship that's got to go. And here's how you know. The question is, how do I know if it's toxic? Are you unequally yoked? Are you hanging out in relationship with people who do not value what you value as far as life is concerned? No one's saying you can't talk to them. No one's saying you can't be encouraging to them. But we're talking about walking deep in relationship with each other. Yeah, light and darkness have nothing together. No, 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 there's there's such a great variance between light and darkness. You cannot walk together. Light and darkness cannot walk together. Not in deep relationship. So what's the gauge of what a, what a good relationship is? The Bible. God's command. What does he say about relationship? Unequally yoked means we don't even believe the same things. Well, you can't have a deep relationship, and you certainly should not have an intimate relationship. That's one of the greatest things I'm trying to teach my children. Don't walk with people that walk with the devil. And it's real simple. And I'm not saying they walk with the devil intentionally. I'm talking about people who just aren't in relationship with Christ. Don't walk with them because they will lead you far quicker than you can lead them. That's just a reality. I've used the illustration before where I've, st- where I've stood up on a chair 
and said, let me, give me your hand. Let me try to pull you up here to my level and where I am. And it just doesn't work. But they, regardless of size or strength, can pull me down to their level very easily. It's just the nature of gravity. And so that's how we view relationship. But encouragement goes forth to everyone. You should be encouraging in every aspect of your life. You should be encouraging one another to build relationship with Christ, encouraging one another to walk with Christ. See, you'll be most blessed if you live your life to be a blessing to someone else. It's just the way it works. Last one I'm going to share with you is this. Worship team, you can come and get set as we wrap up this message. Hopefully this is making some kind of sense to you as it relates to the relationships that you have and that we walk with. So the fourth phrase or word that I'm going to use to describe relationships that God has called us to is going to perhaps be the most challenging. And it's the iron sharpening iron relationship. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17, the Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so one friend sharpens another. That word sharpen. So in, in the Hebrew, they use a lot of word art to describe their words that they're using. And in the, the word art for this word sharpening in the Hebrew is a sword and a stone. You know, you sharpen the sword with a stone. And when you do so, it just shoots off sparks everywhere. Because you've got the metal of the sword meeting the metal that's found in the natural, natural components of the stone. And it just creates sparks. Both services, both surfaces very strong, both surfaces very sharp, coming together to create this friction. That's the image of this word sharpening. Why is that relationship important? Because let me tell you, if you surround yourself with a bunch of what I call yes people, where just all they do is yes, you're everything. Should I make this decision? Yes. Should I go this path? Yes. If, you have, if you're surrounded in your life by yes people, then you will find yourself very quickly lost. You'll find yourself where you come to a point in your life and you look up and you'll say things like, how did I ever get here? What happened that brought me here? Chances are there was someone in your life that encouraged you to come that direction, to move in that direction, whether it be a, a close intimate relationship or a work relationship or whatever. The, we have these, uh, intentionally have these iron sharpening iron relationships, which means that the bottom line is why, this is why God designed us for relationships, which he did. He designed you for relationships. He did not design anyone to be an island of themselves. People who retract from others and suggest, I'd rather be a hermit. That's not the, the, the plan of God, nor was it the design of God when it comes to relationships, is to be in relationship with one another, is to help each other live out a life of faith. God calls us into relationship with each other. And then he says in Hebrews chapter 3, be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day while it is still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. It is a biblical mandate that we warn each other. Let's break that down for just a minute before we close. So in other words... 
this persevering in faith is a relational project. When the Bible says, be careful in verse 12, it literally means make sure that your own hearts, it says, make sure your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving. That phrase literally means to discern. What does that mean? To see something physical with spiritual results. That's what discernment is. To see something physical with spiritual results. God gives you discernment in relationships with one another so that you can see physically what may be a spiritual result in your life. You might get into a relationship with someone and there there might be so much toxicity there that there's some spiritual things going on in your heart and in your spirit that's like, "I, I, I can't engage in this relationship. That's, that's what that means when he says to be careful, to see something physical with spiritual results. In other words, have a spiritual perception in your relationships. Look to them and say, what is going to, what's going to take place in the spiritual world and in my spiritual walk by being in relationship with this person? And some folks, ah, oh, you're making it too complicated. You're making it too deep and too difficult. Let me tell you, I, I have to, because otherwise we engage in relationships that draw us away from Christ. It's what happens to the world. It's what happens to, 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 to our lives every day. Then he goes on to say, you must warn each other every day. Making sure that you don't become hardened against God. That word warn is actually better translated as encourage with strength. Basically speaking of a loving way to build each other up to the point of remaining in the faith. See, there's a lot of churches have it figured out how they can condemn and they can bash you into living the right way. I will preach the true word of God uncompromised and deliver it in a way that, that hopefully God speaks to your heart through it. But in your personal relationships, this, this correction, this warning is done with love, with grace. God's job to create, the Holy Spirit's job to convict, our job to love. Billy Graham said that. It's our job to love. Remembering that God disciplines those that he loves. Relationships are for faith building and faith preserving. That's what relationships are about. Faith building and faith preserving.